Thank you, Jason. You can be seated. <clears throat> I hope you'll look in your handout here. You're going to see uh, that we've had some new members join our church family uh, over last just this past month. Uh, there's a list of them. I think there's about 18 of them. And what's unique about what we're seeing as those who are joining our, our congregation is that many of them are, are not just joining from, from basically attending a gathering. They're actually going into small groups, finding that small group, and basically seeing how they kind of fit into the big part of the puzzle of our church family. And then they're joining. And, and really, if you're a guest here, I want to encourage you, if you think God may be leading you to join us, uh, really that is the best way, is to not only just attend our gatherings, but also find a small group, see if that kind of suits you. Uh, on average, most people will visit three different small groups or connect groups before they settle in. So don't feel bad about trying small groups out. There's a place for you. And uh, if you need help with that, Gary Marburger probably knows more about the small groups than anyone here in our church. So you can contact him about what that may look like for you. But we do appreciate our newer members uh, who have joined this past month. Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2, if you have a way to see God's Word. We're continuing the series, Smoke and Mirrors, and uh, we're actually going to continue this series all the way through the end of the month. Now, what we're going to do today, we're actually going to finish up with Colossians chapter 2, which is really talking a lot about the false beliefs that were there in the first century and how some people were cheapening the gospel and basically saying, Jesus is not enough, you need to do this, 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 and this. Well, we're going to finish that part up today, but next week we're going to be looking at some of the issues that we are seeing here in our society and what are the false messages coming from those issues that we're dealing with in our society. And we'll start that part next week. So the series introduction, now this is not on your outline, something that's been there, but I, I didn't have room to put it on there, it's here on the screen. The best way to not be taken in by that which is false is to know from facts to experience that which is true. That very thing that in which truth has moved, and it's not just a fact, it's not only something that really you even experience, it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a part of a conviction that you have that this very thing is truth. Now, the false teachers in the first century taught about a four-headed monster that consisted of intellectualism, which really was the whole idea of thinking their way to God, ritualism, in which they looked at observing their way to God, mysticism that we saw last week, contacting their way to God, and then today we're going to be looking at legalism, doing your way to God. So all of these attempt to provide a shortcut or short-circuit what God desires in the relationship He desires for us, where we're depending on things outside of who Jesus is and the purpose in which He came to die for our sins and bring us into the right standing with God Himself. And so basically, it's really short-changing who Jesus is all about and what he actually did. Now look at the introduction there on your outline. Being a true follower of Jesus is not simply keeping a list of do's and don'ts, which is the attempt of legalism. Legalism is do's and don'ts, a lot of don'ts. So legalism says Jesus is not enough. One also needs a series of rules, regulations, and guidelines to achieve God's desires. Legalism turns the life of a follower of Jesus into a life of bondage 
instead of a joyful blessing. And God desires us to have a life that is full, that is abundant. Jesus even said that's why he came, that we could experience that type of life. Now, what we need to understand, however, is that legalism is the wrong approach to the life that God desires for us to have. But then there's something that's opposite of legalism, and it's the whole idea of license. And, and it's really that whole attempt, and it's another false belief that's out there, that now that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I can now go out there and live exactly how I want to. I can fulfill the needs of the flesh, I can do this, I can do that, and I'm perfectly fine because Jesus died for all my sins, those in the past, those in the future, it's all settled, now I can live like I want to. That's not what the Bible says either. So one can be just as destructive as the other. What God has called us into is through a personal relationship, a personal relationship with him. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at the fallacies of legalism and compare it to what God truly desires. Now, let me give you some forms of legalism. Some Christians have their list of rules that if you keep them, then you're considered holy and right with God in their eyes. If you wear what I think you ought to wear, if you eat what I think you ought to eat, if you listen to the music I think you ought to listen to, there are many who are out there who prescribe these certain things, and basically you can almost hear the arrogance in what they're saying as long as it meets up with what I feel and what I think. Now, Jesus himself looked down on this type of thing. Matter of fact, when you look in the Gospel of Matthew, he really talks harshly about those who were legalistic in the first century. If you go and you look, he's talking to the Pharisees. They were probably the most legalistic bunch of all the sense of Judaism in that day. And basically, he went hard after them because they started building regulations and all these different things in, in people uh, uh, and basically saying, if you truly love God, you'll do this, this, and this. And if you don't do it uh, the way we think you ought to do it, then you're missing out on this, this, and this. Now, some of what they were holding to was of the Word of God. But they added so much more that it became a terrible yoke of bondage. And Jesus was basically saying, that needs to go. You're, and he basically says, you're not even capable of living, living up to what you're saying. And you're not, even though you pretend as if you do. Now, where has legalism slipped in more in our day? Do you realize that there are certain groups of people out there in the name of Christianity who basically says you shouldn't drink coffee? Now, how many of you just want to slap them right now? I know. <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker, uh, but I don't think I'm more holy than you who drink coffee, okay? But, but the point is, there are those who are out there, and they have different ideas about what holiness looks like and what it means to be a Christian. There's some that are out there that say, you ladies ought not to be wearing any makeup. I say wear the makeup. I, I think it's a good thing. <laughs> but, but, but. There are those who are out there. There are those out there who says uh, that, that you wear certain clothes. There's those who are out there who say your hair has to be a certain length. I remember when I was a, a kid back in the late 70s, uh, we would always, uh, when we went to visit my grandparents, we would go to their church that particular Sunday. And it was a small independent church, and, and uh, they, they had some preachers that really impacted my life over the years. But there was this one preacher that was there. And, and he definitely had an independent leaning in which there was a lot of legalism in what he believed. 
And he believed, and if you remember in the 70s, there was a short, there was a, a look that men had with the style. And I remember my dad had hair that kind of went down right level to the bottom of his ears or it went over his ears. And it seemed like every time we went to that particular church, that preacher would talk about men having long hair. And, and I mean, he didn't have things down. I mean, it was just up to here. And I remember as a, as a, as a child, I think I might have been maybe uh, 10, 11, whatever years old. And I remember looking at my dad when the preacher was saying, and thinking, you're such a sinner. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that was a form of legalism. It's a form of legalism. And, and the, the list can vary from church to church, and it goes on and on and on. I also remember my grandfather. My grandfather was a very important person in my life. I loved that man. He taught me how to drive when I was eight years old. I mean, I, I had a great time with my grandfather. And, and, and yet he was one of those who kind of fell into some of the legalism, I guess you could say. But you got to understand, our family come from tobacco farmers. Every, every field you saw in our neighborhood was tobacco. I worked in tobacco for three summers. I, I, I know what it's like to... To, to, for hard work, I want to say. But I remember, I remember my grandfather, I, I brought some playing cards, a deck of cards into his home. How many of you already know where I'm headed with this? And I was sitting there trying to play games with trying to play solitaire. My grandfather, he came in there, and he had a cigarette in his, in his, in his uh, mouth. And, and bless his heart, how many of you have ever seen people, and they're smoking, and the, the smoke is getting in their eyes, and they got a strange look on their face, you know what I'm talking about? And he comes in there and he says, you need to get them things out of my house. I mean, he thought they were of the devil, okay? And maybe he was closer to right than I was. I don't know. But the point is, who determines what's right and what's not right when it comes to these things called legalism? These are all examples of 21st century legalism. Well, the first century Pharisees were so caught up in legalism, so caught up in it, that they didn't even recognize the Messiah who they longed for to come. There were so many things, and here's why they didn't accept Jesus as the Messiah. Because guess what? They added to the law, and they kept adding to the law and adding to the law to the point when Jesus shows up, it looked like to them Jesus was breaking the commands of God. Jesus wasn't breaking the commands of God. He was breaking their man-made commands is what was happening. And yet, they pulled that out there, and they put it out in front of everybody. So legalism can be very dangerous. But let's look at it this morning. Legalism, look on your outline, is direction is outside in. Legalism puts the focus on the negative rather than the positive. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, verse 20, it says, Therefore, if you died with Christ, he's basically saying if you died with Christ, he's basically saying, he's implying that's all you need. Nothing else matters than the fact you died in Christ. That, that implies this is that relationship that he desires with you that's, that's banked on what Jesus did. If you died with Christ from the basic or elementary principles of the world, now, that, that phrase is used to describe puffed-up religion, religious pride. Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle? 
He's basically saying, why as though living in the world? Your higher calling is Jesus. The relationship he desires for you is truly a relationship. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about regulations. He's very clear about that. So don't, don't, don't. It defines the follower of uh, the life of a follower of Jesus as a series of negatives. Now, leg- legalism can cause causes one to focus, as I said, on the negative rather than the positive. There was a little boy who was asked, son, what's your name? He said, my name is Don't, he responded. Everything I do is don't, don't, don't. And pretty much that's what he considered his identity to be, I guess. Many believe that the Christian life is defined by this, what you don't do. Now, have you ever thought about how much of a, a great Christian this podium is in some people's definition? I want you to think about this. This table here could really be the definition of a great Christian for some people. Now, how do we know that? It doesn't drink. It doesn't chew. It doesn't dance. It's always here at church, right? And it never says the wrong thing. And by some people's definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or a Christian, this is one of the best. One of the best. And I want you to think about that, how ridiculous that sounds. But that's how some people see it. Secondly, legalism puts the focus on the passing rather than the lasting. Verse 20 again. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. Verse 22, which all concern things which perish with the using. And where does it come from? From the commandments and doctrines of men. He's talking about man-made religion. And that's what legalism is. The first century, there was so much focus on the food you could eat and couldn't eat. Paul was saying, once the food is consumed, it's gone. Or at least it, you could say it changes, okay? <laughs> human rules and regulations come from human understanding rather than what God says. And all are temporary. All change from generation to generation, from church to church, from person to person, from place to place, from situation to situation. They're not consistent anywhere. You could go to different churches this morning, and you could probably clearly pick up on the legalistic ways it may have, its tendencies. And if we're not careful, that can be the thing that dictates our identity in Christ is what we don't do. And we've got to be careful that it's not. It's found in the relationship that we have. So what Paul was trying to say is everything we're putting the emphasis on is passing. It's it's not going to be important at some point. What about those things that are lasting? What do we know that is like? is through the relationship we have in Jesus. Next, legalism puts the focus on the prideful rather than the humble. And this, and really what Paul's getting ready to say is why legalism should be rejected. Look at verse 23, the first part. These things, these don'ts, indeed have an appearance of wisdom. You may kind of look into it and say, well, okay. But it's self-imposed religion. False humility. 
Legalism should be rejected because it leads to pride. Now, many of you know what a lobster is. Maybe you've even handled a lobster. You can tell from its, uh, from its appearance, actually, that it's hard on the outside. Biologists say it's exoskeletal because its bones or its structure are on the outside. However, we as human beings, we're, we're considered soft because our bones are on the inside. And here's the difference. If we develop spiritual convictions that are from within, it does not harden us and turn us into what we would call a Pharisee or a legalist. But if we go by outside rules and regulations, then we, became, then we can easily become harsh and very prideful. And so it's those things. We put the emphasis on those things rather than a work that's done on the inside that we'll talk about in just a moment. Someone profoundly said this one time. Some Christians grow while others swell. And boy, that is so true. Next, legalism puts the focus on the flesh rather than the spirit. Verse 23 again says, These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Legalism, listen, has no power to make you what you should be in Christ. That's not the means. An outward remedy, I love this. And this is kind of, if you were at the marriage retreat, this is kind of what they were saying last night. An outward remedy cannot deal with an inward problem. Physical solutions do not solve spiritual problems. But so many times, legalism is injected in there sometimes as a solution when it's far from it. Sometimes it's just another form of bondage. Certain people, now let me say this too. And I want, I want to put a caveat to everything we've said here so far. Certain people, because of their certain dispositions towards sin or addictions, let me just say this. Maybe you do need guardrails in your life. Maybe for you, there need to be some don'ts to keep you from the distraction and the hindrance from the relationship God desires for you or the best that he has for you. If you have certain addictions or certain dispositions towards sin, then, then maybe you do need to put the guardrails in your life. Maybe for you, those don'ts are very important to keep you from that. But when it becomes where you expect others to need those same guardrails, that's when it can become very legalistic. So let's just remember, sometimes we need those things in our life. But that doesn't mean that we impose those on other people. Maybe some of you this morning are maybe convicted to lose weight. And, 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 and to do that, you, you feel that you need to cut out all the sweets, okay? Now, a lot of you are like, no, there's got to be a better way to diet. And I understand that, okay? But let's just say for you, you got to cut out the sweets, and let's just say we go to a wedding, and maybe we're sitting at the table with you. And, of course, my wife, she's not, bless her heart, she's not thinking about the bride and groom and their true joy that they're about to enter into, nor the, the chicken leg that may be on the, she's thinking about the cake. When do we get the cake, okay? Sorry about that, but that's true, okay? <laughs> And, and, and for some people, maybe, maybe uh, you know, aren't you looking forward to the cake? No, I do not eat or partake of the cake. 
And that's the guardrail you have to put in your life for you personally to keep, you, keep up with the conviction that's developed in your heart and the don't that you put there to help you fulfill what you think you're fulfilled called to do. But it doesn't mean you're greater than the person that eats cake. You, you see what I'm saying? And we've got to be careful not to impose those things because that is more the idea of the flesh rather than what's truly going on with the spirit. So it is one thing to quit doing something or start doing something because you have been pressured to by those on the outside, but it's completely another thing to quit doing something or start doing something because the spirit of God has developed an inward conviction in your life. Now, think of this. A conviction is put in place from the inside by the Holy Spirit through a process we call transformation. Therefore, transformation is vital for the follower of Jesus. So really, if we were to say, what are, what's the answer to us to become closer to God? It's not legalism. It's not this big don't list. It's what's called transformation. And that's what Paul points us to. So let's look at it. Transformation, the direction is from the inside out. Legalism is the outside in. And we just showed you what can come, the harm that can come from that. But the true desire of God for the change to take place in you comes from the inside out. That is transformation. So true Christianity is an inside job. The true Christian, true Christian life, listen, and this is important for us to understand, has a death, a burial, and a resurrection associated with it. And that is a work on the inside. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But look at verse 20 again. Therefore, if you died with Christ, that's the key, from the basic principles of the world, you're moving from man-made religion and you're moving into what God truly desires. It comes from us being in Christ. Okay? What does it mean to be in Christ? The Bible says it many ways. It means we're a new creation. We're a new creature. How did it happen? We identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there has become what is going on in our lives. That right there is what brings a transformation in our lives. Okay? So... Paul is basically saying, if Christ died for us to bring us out of bondage, then why are we trying to return to another type of bondage? That's really what he's trying to say, okay? So, what does this look like? Look on your outline. Transformation is made possible, how? By Jesus through the means of the Holy Spirit. And there's several things that it does. Number one, it takes care of what we just talked about. It corrects one's direction from legalism to transformation. Okay? Now, let's go over the first part of the outline. Let's reverse everything. Transformation puts the focus on, let's reverse everything, the positive rather than the negative. It's not the list of don'ts. It's the great relationship and the great awakening of the fact that Jesus died for us. He wants to do a work in us, and he wants to bring us to freedom in him. That's the positive. Secondly, it brings us from the lasting rather than the passing. Therefore, the, the, the focus of our life are not these things that are going to pass away one day and not mean anything down the road, but the eternal work that he's doing in and through us 
becomes center stage in our life. And that really helps when you begin to understand your life that way. Number three, it's the humble rather than the prideful. And then fourthly, it's a work of the spirit rather than the work of the flesh. Work of the flesh. Now, what does this reversal from legalism to transformation look like? Look here on the screen. Many of you know these verses. Paul himself said this. I beseech you, brother. I plead with you, okay, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what are we to do? What's the first thing to do? Move from legalism uh, over here to transformation. We have to offer ourselves to God. We put ourselves before God for him to do the work. Not for us to go out here and create this, these, this thing that we are, our new system that we're going to follow in. But we offer ourselves to him to do this great work. The second verse, and don't be conformed to this world. Don't let that lead you to conforming to the world. Now, a lot of times when we think conforming to the world, we think it means the obvious things. We're not going to conform to the world to do the evil and wickedness of this world. But it could also mean in this context we're talking about today, the, the, the whole thing that conforms us into religion and not what God desires. It can mean that also, that we're not conformed to those things. Okay, but be what? Transformed by renewing of your mind. God's going to do a work in your mind. Now, will it have a lasting effect? Yeah, if it becomes a part of your inner convictions and it becomes a, a heart issue for you. Okay, that's how we experience God through this. That's how we understand the relationship we have with him. He does something there in the mind. And what, what transforms the mind? I think the greatest thing that transforms the mind is the word of God itself which is, Jesus said, it's not just merely words. What did Jesus say? He said, I'm the embodiment of it. And, and if we're called to be like him, that's the goal. That's the transformative work God wants to do in our lives. So we do it by the renewing of your mind. Why would we do that? Why would we do that? That you may prove, some ideas of translation say this, that you may truly know what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God? So it's much more than don't, 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 don't. It's over here where God is shaping us and forming us. And the words that you see here, conform, literally means to squeeze into a mold, to transform. It's to shape something into something that can be used, that is valuable. That's what we're looking at here in these verses. Next transformation made possible by Jesus through the Holy Spirit changes one's maturation from the law to the Holy Spirit. Maturation just literally means act of maturing. We're maturing through something. And we may start with the law to understand. Matter of fact, the law, it doesn't mean it's just thrown out there, has nothing. No, the law, I don't know about you, proved to me I was a sinner. The law helped me to realize my need of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because the law told me I wasn't in right standing with God. So the purpose of the law is very valuable. But it's not something that we do because the Bible literally says there's none righteous, no, not one. You know what that literally means? It literally means we don't measure up. The law didn't get us there. Keeping the law to the full, it won't do it. 
So now we live not on the basis of the law on the outside, but the life that's now on the inside. The life that Jesus brings to our life. Think of this, the new follower of Jesus wearing a lot of grave clothes. Let's just, matter of fact, when you first get, come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, people have different responses about that. I've heard some people say that they immediately knew it was this moment. They couldn't believe the moment. They couldn't believe the freedom they felt. I've heard that. And, and that's many times from people who came to know Jesus later in life. And then there's some where they just faithfully just ask Jesus to come into their life. And, and all of a sudden, they start becoming aware of things. They start uh, their sin now. They identify with it in a different way. They start seeing that it's working against them instead of for them. All these things start changing. Their perspective begins to change. But think about this. That new Christian, they start studying their Bible. They start watching those mature followers of Jesus around them. The Holy Spirit begins to do what it's been called to do in their life. Their actions, attitudes, dispositions, and perspectives begin to change. And there's a change on the inside there that begins to change things on the outside. Instead of being beat down on the outside by legalism, they see the, a change on the inside in which they see a beautiful, victorious life begin to open up for them. See, that's not talk of bondage. It's talk of victory and deliverance. And those are the words that we should be using when it comes to our salvation. How did Paul say it? Well, in Romans chapter 7, verse 6, he says, But now we have been delivered from what? The law having died to what we were held by, so that now that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Yeah, the law was important. It got us somewhere. It helped us understand our need. It helped us understand we're not in right standing with God. But that's not the dictator anymore. It's now this new newness that we find in Christ in which he's operating and moving and, and transforming us. All we do is surrender ourselves to him to do that work. It's really the picture here. Galatians 5.18. But if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not under the law. He's basically saying there's something greater that should be motivating you when it comes to this relationship you found in Jesus Christ. And the motivation is the don't, don't, don'ts. The motivation is that life that now lives within you that's attempting to, to, provide, to, to display fruit in your life because that's the context of Galatians chapter 5. It's trying to show the fruit that can come from your life by way of the transformation that's taking place in your life. And you know what happens? You know what's really amazing about when that happens? When we start living in the whole newness of life that Christ has provided, and all of a sudden we're being transformed, guess what? They're, they're, we come closer to fulfilling the law than we ever have. But it's not one of those things where we're focusing on the don't, don't, don'ts. It's where we surrender our lives to the transformative work of the Holy Spirit made, what made possible through Jesus. That is the key. That's what we're talking about here. Next, transformation made possible by Jesus through the Holy Spirit shifts one's reality from death to life. You, let me say this. You mean to tell me someone can have what some would call a religious experience, and then from that point, it's really not a transformative work. It's just they get caught up in the rules and the regulations and and they don't really, and they can still be dead in their sins. 
Absolutely. That's what the danger of legalism is. When someone hasn't truly given their life to Jesus and the new work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in their life, where they just say, you know something? I'm going to base my life on this, 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 and this. How do we know that a person can still be in their sins by doing that? Because Paul was one of those before Jesus showed, showed up. Let me tell you something about Paul before Jesus showed up. Paul was a devout follower of God. At least he thought he was. He was. It, listen, if, if legalism, legalism could truly save you, Paul would have been one of the greatest saints there ever was. Because Paul understood the don'ts. He understood what he should do, what he shouldn't do. He had all that figured out, or at least he thought he did. Matter of fact, if you, you were to approach Paul in that day before he came to know Jesus, he, he might have told you that he, he was very close to God. And now let me tell you what Paul believed. And, and many people are coming to understand why he was so passionate about wiping out Christianity. It's because he believed that if the Jews got right, if they all of a sudden there was a revival around the law of God, they could literally usher in the time of the Messiah that the Messiah would then come back because there would be a revival around the, the, the Judaism and then God would have to send the Messiah. That was the thought that they had. And so Christianity was a distraction to that. Christianity was basically taking them further away from the point in which the Messiah could, could show up. But here's the ironic thing. The Messiah did show up and Paul totally missed it. Totally missed it. I guarantee you, if Paul were standing here today, he would say one thing that kept him from seeing Jesus for who he truly was before Jesus showed up. He would have told you, he might not have used the word, but he would have said legalism. I was caught up in my own perspective. I was caught up in human wisdom. I was caught up in blah, 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 and it didn't deliver what I needed until Jesus confronted him about it. So what does this look like? Paul writes about this. And I think he's really writing about himself. In Romans chapter 6, look here on the screen. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Now, are y'all hearing anything about don'ts? No, you're, you're talking about the identification where I'm dead to sin and alive to Christ. That's a relationship he's describing, okay? Now, we believe that. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. That means there's, it's all been taken care of. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves. That means find value or see the value in this. To be dead, to be dead indeed to sin. But what? Alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That it moves, that it moves from, from the deadness of sin, which encapsulates the whole law. 
okay? We realize that we're dead in sin because of the law, but we're moving away from all that into relationship that God desires for us. Next, transformation by way made possible by Jesus through the Holy Spirit provides Paul's testimony from duty to devotion. Now, I don't have time to do this, but I want to encourage you to, to do this Bible study. I gave you the verses. I gave you the chapter. But in Acts chapter 9, we have the transformation of Paul. Okay? Now, of course, many of you know this. Before, before he was known as Saul. And then when you get to the latter uh, chapters of, of, of Acts, he's known as Paul. So he's the same person. Saul is Paul. Okay? Paul is Saul. Saul is Paul. Okay. Now, what you see here is the fact in this story, you see where he goes from duty attached to something, which was religion, to devotion attached to someone who is now Jesus. That's the transformation that takes place in his life. Now, how did this happen? Well, his old reputation used to be that he did not want the cause of Jesus to be promoted throughout the region and the world. He tried his best to kill the whole movement. That was his ambition in life. Again, he thought he was working and operating in the name of Jehovah God. But he was totally wrong. Totally wrong. But now we have his new reputation. How do we know his new, he had a new reputation? Because when, when God appeared to Ananias to say, hey, I want you to go out and meet Saul, who was Paul. And I want you to do this for him, this for him, this for him. Ananias was quick to say, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You know what this man is trying to do, right? He's trying to kill us all. <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to wipe us out, basically. But his new reputation, he has a new reputation because now he's following in the footsteps of what Jesus provides. Not the law, but the new life found in Jesus. So Paul's testimony from devotion to duty, now we see his new family. And again, what does his new family, what does family mean? It means relationship. So now he's not only in right relationship with God through Jesus, which was God's intention, he's also in relationship with other followers of Jesus. So important. And then his new feeling. In verse 17, uh, it says, And then Ananias went his way, entered the house, and laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Mm. His new perspective. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. Y'all, I'm telling you, he didn't just receive physical sight. He, 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 he received a new spiritual sight, too. And the Bible shows us that time and time again. His new obedience. It says, and he arose and was baptized. That means he went from identifying with the old ways, which was a, a detriment not only to him, but those he was affecting, to the new way that he found in Christ. Because what is baptism? It's identification through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There was now a name and a face and a life put to what he sees now in God. His new testimony, the Bible says in verse 21, then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not the one who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief police? priest? Is that that's all you're talking about? Yeah, but you wouldn't believe where he is now. You wouldn't believe it. And then his new passion. 
Verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Messiah. He was the one that Paul was looking for in the first place. But the scales of legalism, the blinding of legalism had to be ripped from him before he could see this new perspective found in Jesus Christ by way of a relationship with God that came through the Messiah. So here's the application. As it relates to your growth as a follower of Jesus, which direction are you moving? From the outside in or from the inside out? Outside in produces pride, while the inside out produces transformation. And y'all, that is true life change. So here's what I want to say. What are the dangers of legalism? Here they are. It can literally keep a person from salvation. It can literally keep a person bound for hell. And that's where Paul would have gone apart from Jesus showing up. Secondly, it keeps a follower of Jesus in bondage to religion. They're in bondage to religion. Not enjoying the freedoms that come in the relationship, but in bondage to the freedom. And then thirdly, and this is where I see it happening a lot, it keeps a person in spiritual infancy. They never grow because they're putting their growth based on the don'ts. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Okay, you've grown. Now you stand out. No. It's an inner work. It's an inner work. And here's the conclusion. God desires a personal relationship with you through his son Jesus and not shallow, deceptive religious activity, nor the false beliefs of this world found in intellectualism, ritualism, mysticism, or legalism. So here's really where it comes down to. Jesus told his disciples, okay, he's telling them, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send someone who will be here for you. Now, what is he implying? Right now, you got a relationship with me. Right now, we can sit here and talk with one another. We can enjoy fellowship with one another. But when I leave, you're not going to miss a whole lot of that. Because the one who's coming is going to teach you like I did, guide you like I did, convict you. That means confront you when you need to be confronted like I did. All that work that I was able to do here and on a one-on-one basis is now going to be done by the one called the Holy Spirit. Y'all, the Holy Spirit's work in you is greater than any form of legalism that's out there. It's all found in a relationship. And guess what? Every one of us are at different places in that relationship. Some of you are in your spiritual infancy. And someone comes along and says, hey, God wants to do work in your life. Here's what it looks like. Be careful when they start telling you all these big lists. You need to understand that now, listen, there's a relationship in which God can speak to you in a real personal way through the Holy Spirit. And y'all, that is transformation. So when you're being transformed, it's a work of God through the Holy Spirit made possible by Jesus not the list, not all these other things. It's a brand new work being done in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you right now. We just thank you for your blessings. And Lord, I just lift up this time together, Father. I know that there's many in this room, and I don't know where they are, but Lord, I know you know where they are. 
And Father, I just pray that you'll just do a work in their life, Father. Whether it's someone coming here today and realizing that they've been placing their faith in, in a list and not in a person. They, they've been in bondage to certain things. Uh, uh, but Father, help them realize that the freedom that we have in following you. And Father, I just pray for that person that may be here. Maybe they put their trust in the wrong thing, in the list, instead of the relationship with you. And Father, I pray for those who are in this room who, who, who live this transformative life beautifully, Father. They see things in their life. There's a work that's going on in their life. And, and maybe it's happening uh, in a way in which there's been some kind of calamity that's come in their life. And they're discovering new perspectives of who you are through it. Maybe it's someone who's just come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And maybe they're just discovering what really that is all about. Father, I pray that they'll sense a work that you're trying to do in and through them. Not by a list, but in that personal relationship with them meeting with you, realizing their need for you. Father, we thank you. And Father, we also thank you for your word that it leads and guides us into paths of righteousness. It shows us the way, the truth, and the life. But it doesn't end there. All those things are found in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we're not looking for a way, we're looking for the way that's found in Jesus. We're not looking for a truth, but the truth that is found in Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. We're getting ready to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm gonna be here at the front. I don't know what your need is, but, but would you stand with us even now? Maybe God's laid on your heart about something and you just need to speak with someone. I'll be here. Maybe you need someone to pray with you about your journey in Christ. I'll be here at the front. Just do what God's calling you to do in these moments.